0: What a joy it is to be with you, to fellowship with all of you, sharing God's word with you. Our subject here tonight will be God, our comfort. God, our comfort. And our focus will be in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. I got three points that we'll be looking at here tonight, and I just want to share these with you. First thing we'll see in our passages here this evening is that you should be comforted by God's message. We'll see this in verses 1 and 2. Second, you should be comforted by God's method. We'll see this in verses 3 and 4. You should be comforted by God's motive. And we see this in verse 5. So look with me at Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Follow along as I read God's word. This is God's word. Give heed to God's word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. This is God's word. Isaiah ministered to Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. His book breaks down into three sections. Chapters 1 through 39 focused on God's impeding judgment upon Judah because of her sins. Now I look at the end of chapter 39, verses 6 and 7. We'll see there, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, this is uh, to Hezekiah, that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons whom will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. These words point forward to what will happen with the people of Judah. They will go into captivity. They will go into captivity because they are being judged by God. And, and the Babylonian captivity would be the most extensive, the most devastating act of divine judgment upon God's people. And we're left with a question after we read chapters 1 through 39. Do God's people have any hope? Is there any hope of salvation for them? With chapters 40 40 through 66 answers yes. They, uh, these chapters deal primarily with God's future promise of deliverance. Looking beyond Babylonian captivity to when God will restore Israel and God's restoration of his people will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. And our text this evening anticipates Judah's Exile into Babylon. And it reveals something to us because it, it anticipates it. And, and what, is, what, what is implied to us is that the future is not hidden from God. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen because He ordained. During this exile, our glor- great and glorious God will come to his undeserving people in their utter hopelessness and inability to save themselves. And, and, and the, the restoration of his people will, will be such that the world will see his greatness and glory. And, and even though God does deliver them from Babylonian captivity, deliverance is not the greatest comfort for them. What is the greatest comfort? God. God is their greatest comfort. He will be their God. And so let's look at our first thought here. You should be comforted by God's message. You should be comforted by God's message. The message of comfort that we find here is a command given by God. Look with me at verse 1. Notice, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Notice the word comfort is re- twice repeated. Comfort uh, presupposes that there is suffering, and the comfort that is mentioned here, it, It's not the comfort where you sympathize with someone. It means strengthening. It means strengthening someone from deep grief, deep depression, from despair, from distress, to strengthen them from that state into joy. That's what comfort means here. And, and notice that it does not say that there are people needing comfort. It, what we have here is a, comm- it's a call. It's a call to give comfort. The emphasis here is on the message, not the people. It is a double command implying urgency. And, and what's, what's significant about this Command Here is that it's a declaration. It's a declaration that initiates an activity. God commissions and calls his servants to action to give comfort to his people. It initiates this action. And and guess what, brothers and sisters, we're called to give to, to action as well. We're called to give comfort. First Corinthians chapter one, verse four, God says comfort. God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that here's the purpose that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. John MacArthur said this. He said it is a paradox that the sovereign God should depend upon man to carry out his will. Sovereign God calls us to comfort others with the comfort that he comforted us with. That's the stuff we're talking about. Sovereign God. Calling you to give comfort and guess what? brothers and sisters, if you don't do it, you're disobeying God. Look again with me at verse 1 where it says, my people. This primarily refers to God's people in future Babylonian captivity. And again, they'll be in captivity because of their sinfulness and their, their unfaithfulness to God. And Isaiah captures it in this way. Isaiah chapter 1 verse Four says, all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And in Isaiah six and nine, God doesn't call on my people. He says, this people. God refers to them as this people because of their sinfulness, because of their rejection of him. And and God judged them for this. And, And the Babylonians enslaved them. They will. This is future. They will be enslaved. Many will die in captivity. Jerusalem will be in ruins. The temple will be destroyed. There'll be no priests offering sacrifices. They will be in a desperate situation. And if you want to find out more about how desperate their situation was, read Lamentations. Lamentations was written to express the grief, despair, pain, misery, loss that uh, that the inhabitants of Judah was uh, Jerusalem was experiencing. And 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 throughout Lamentations, uh, Lamentations chapter one, verse two. Verse 9, verse 16, verse 17, verse 21, it's repeated over and over again. She has none to comfort her. But God reveals his awesome greatness and that he comes with his word to his people while they are helpless. They're not even in captivity yet. While they are helpless. This word comes to God's people. And beloved, can I say to you, God send difficulties into your life. And he has a purpose in it. He sends difficulties into your life to drive you to him so that you can learn to rely upon him. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. He said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond... Sounds like Paul needs some comfort. He says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised... Of life itself. Indeed, he said, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Thought he was going to die. But there was a purpose in that. And the purpose, he says, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a great pearl. And will deliver us. And he will deliver us. And on him. Paul says. We have set our hope. That he will deliver us again. And this is what God is doing. In, in, in judging his people. Ultimately. So that they can turn away from themselves. And seek after him. And cry after him. For comfort. Look. Again, with me at verse one. Look at the end of our passage. It says, "Says your God, how glorious this is." It said, "Comfort, comfort, my people." Says your God. This is Elohim, the sovereign God of Israel that is speaking here. Paul, the God that Paul calls the God, God the Father of all mercies and the god of all comfort 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 He is the source of true comfort And note the covenantal language here it says it says my god your people This this is covenantal language God God has not given up on his, on his people he will not give up on his people. He, his love for them would never weaken. He, he did not forsake them even as they sinned against him. And guess what? If you're in Christ, God would not forsake you. Romans eight thirty-eight and 39 says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The people, God calls them my people, and I'm your God. There will be a point that these rebellious people, the the people that, that should have died off in captivity, God will come to them, he will come to them as your God. And they will be to him my people again. And he didn't forsake them. James Montgomery Boyce said this, There is nothing in all the universe that is greater and more steadfast than than love. Therefore, nothing in all the universe can separate us from it. And that's what we learn here with this command given Comfort, comfort my people. That even though the people of God deserved the judgment of God, they they deserved every bit of what they were going, what they will go through in the future. But nothing separates God's people from his love. Even as we fail, even as we struggle to obey God's will, even as we mess up, if you're a child of God, God will not forsake you. He will not leave you. Look at verse 2. Here God commands That his messengers make his message of comfort known. Make it clear. Make sure that everyone who hears it understand it. Make sure that they don't miss anything that is said. Look at verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Literally, this reads to speak to the heart of Jerusalem. And here we see God's tenderness toward his people to to reassure their hearts to to reassure their hearts God's messengers must speak to the people with a tender and persuasive words and we too must must minister God's comfort through his word with with humility and, and with tenderness but it can be hard It can be hard to love fellow saints who are sinners. It can be hard. It can be hard because there are times where we take our eyes off God and his word and begin to focus on disappointments, on unmet expectations and the sins of others. And I can say amen to this. This is why I love fire, because this was me. Uh, as an as under-shepherd of God's people, I was frustrated at the last International Fire Fellowship. And I was encouraged by the brothers there. Uh, they, they built me up and, and, and they spoke comfort in, in, into my life because we... We're not perfect. We're going to fail. You Think about Moses, the great man of God, leading God's people. And God told Moses to go and, you know, speak to the rock, and he got angry at the people. And out of frustration, he struck the rock. And yet water flowed out of that rock. Oh, God is a God of mercy. But he acted harshly in anger and frustration when others didn't listen to him. And Clay Warner Warner said this. He observed. He says, one look at Jesus hanging on the cross will teach you that if you make a conscious decision to deeply and sacrificially love sinners, it's going to hurt something awful. You see how difficult God says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, but this is no easy task. Speak tenderly to. And not only and not only that, he says, speak tenderly to the to, to to her heart and cry to her. The the, the message, this is is taking the message, message of God's comfort. It must be cried out in confidence to provide assurance. It must be boldly proclaimed, calling for decisive response with a sense of urgency. Because God commanded it. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her cry to her, what? Notice the threefold comfort and this this comfort that the messengers were to give were basically that uh, her sins were dealt with. Notice the first, it says that her warfare is ended. The sovereign God will free his people from their hard time of captivity in Babylon just as he has freed us in Christ, Colossians 1 and 13. God, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and uh, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and and to the enslavement to Satan and enslavement to, to sin. He says, cry to her that her warfare is ended. And notice also it says that her iniquity is pardoned. How is it that God would pardon or forgive iniquity or sin of his people who rebelled against him? How would he do this for these people? Well, Isaiah 53 gives us the answer. Isaiah 53 and 4 says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All means all. <laughs> These are comforting words to the people who are sinners. That her warfare is in it. That her iniquity is. Pardon! And lastly, that she has received from the Lord Lord's hand double for all her sins. this, this doesn't mean that Jerusalem suffered enough to, to pay double, uh, enough to pay double in punishment for her sins. God, God is saying that God is saying that Jerusalem has paid a, a great price for her sins. And he will not require further payment. Pardon of sin does not depend upon whether we pay it or not. Because we can't. We can't pay the penalty of our sin. Because we're, before we come to Christ, dead in our trespasses and sin. And perhaps there are some here. This evening, you haven't come to Christ and you think that you can work and make it all good with Holy God? You can't. You can't do it. There, 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 you commit one sin, the wages of sin is death. One sin, you deserve to die. So you can't pay for your sin. But here's the good news that those of us who know Christ has embraced. Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, this for by grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. By grace, through faith, and it's a gift of God. This is how sins are dealt with. Look at verses 3 and 4. This is our second point. You should be comforted by God's method. God is coming to his people. Look at verse three in our passage. It says a voice cries. And We're not told who this voice is. It, it is a it is the message that is important, not the voice that cries out. And of course, the New Testament applies these words to, to John the Baptist. John chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Uh, John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ by directing the people to God and calling them to repentance. But notice what it goes on. It says, a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In those days, when a king was transported, on a journey, an advanced crew went out to smooth his passage by leveling the road and uh, for his carriage. And what is being said here is preparations must be made because Yahweh is coming. Yahweh, our God, is coming. And, and this implies that Yahweh had left. And he left, remember, in Ezekiel chapters 9 through 11, uh, God left the temple. The glory of the Lord left the temple. But now it is saying that make a way. He's coming back. He's coming again. And this preparation that is called for, it is spiritual. It is spiritual preparation. The way to be prepared for God is in the human heart. The obstacles to be removed are those of human sinfulness. Yahweh is coming into the wilderness of his people's lives and into the desert of their hearts, into the place, he's coming into the very place where they experience weariness into the very place where they experienced despair. And, 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 and the, the, the Israelites must make a road for the Lord and remove those, the, the obstacles that stood in the way and pre- prevented his fellowship with them. Turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35 verse 8. This way, again, is preparation of the heart. In Isaiah 35, verse 8, notice what the way is called. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass on it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they Are fools, they shall not go astray. This way is a way of holiness. Look at Isaiah chapter 57, Isaiah 57 and 14. All these precious words. And, 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 and it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle for my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I will dwell in the high and holy place. But notice what he says. And also and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contract. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit will grow faint because, uh, before me and the breath of life that I made. How precious are those words! How great and glorious God said that he desires to dwell with the most lowly person who is broken and contrite before him. And eventually this will be fulfilled in Christ. Christ would fulfill this. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 these words are familiar to you because Jesus read it when he was commissioned. Isaiah 61, verse 1 it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim. Liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus will fulfill this. So the preparation is spiritual. Look at verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. So the, low, the, the valleys will be lifted up. The hills will be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. And this is saying that that every obstacle to the Lord's coming will be taken care of, will be removed. There will be no obstacle that will prevent him from coming to his people to deliver them. No nation, no king, not even the sinfulness of the people will keep God from coming to his people to save and restore. You may be in a place where you feel you have no hope and that God cannot come through in your life. This gives us assurance that he will. It doesn't matter where you are. I've been in dark, uh, a place that has been so dark. I was so depressed, I was in despair, and I felt like just the, 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 and if some of you have been there, just everything was just pressing in on me. and I just this pressure, this intense pressure just pressed in, and I just felt like I was being. Strangled. But God didn't leave me because every time I picked up his word. He gave me comfort. He gave me comfort. Because he was in those moments, he was my only hope. He was all that I had. His sovereignty was all that made sense to me. Because I tried to make crooked things straight. I tried to make mountains. I tried to bring them down and make them level. And I quickly realized that this ain't my business. I, I can't do nothing about it. I, I, I became a Calvinist before I knew I was a Calvinist, before I even knew what it was about. I, I'm serious. I, I knew, I, I, you know, the, the situation I was facing, I knew I couldn't change. I can't change this. I can't change this person. And I'll pick up the scripture. And God will say, all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who call according to his purpose. Okay, God is sovereign. He's doing something. I don't know what it is. And I want to say, I want to ask you, is God your hope? Because this is what this passage is getting at. That the only comfort that the people have is coming to them. They've trusted and trying to make alliances with the nations. They've gone after idols. They've gone and tried to do this and they've tried to do that. And where did it get them? They got them into captivity. They got them into suffering. Only God is their, their hope. And when, why, does God, why does God take us through difficult times? Why does God put us in places that we can't get ourselves out of? So that we will see his glory. So that we will see his greatness. Look at verse five. You should be comforted by God's motive. This is this is what is God's motive in all that he does? His glory. That 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 is what God is he's not after your happiness. He's not after your the, the, your comfort, even though he may comfort you. You got so many people out there lying, saying God wants your best. He wants the best for you. What God wants from you is for you to see his glory. Look at verse five. It says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. There is no revealing of God's glory among the people of God until God comes to them. And just imagine how good it just remember we had COVID. Going along and you couldn't come to church uh, and and somebody said, Okay, doors of the church, we, we can come to church again. And you were so happy. You were like, man, we just so happy to be able to go and be able to fellowship with the, the people of God. That was just a slimmer of, of what we get here. The people who have who have forfeited. God's fellowship now comes to them again. Not only will they see God's glory, but all flesh shall see it together. God's glory is the sign of his presence and power revealed. And his glory is ultimately and supremely revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed God's glory in his incarnation. John says in John chapter one, verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter one, verse three says this. He is the radiance, talking about Jesus Christ, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, Christ revealed God's glory supremely because in reality, we couldn't look upon God in his glory because we would die. But we see God's glory clearly in Jesus Christ. And we see it in his work of salvation. We see it in in the fact that he delivers God's children and he will ultimately judge sin as savior. God's ju- uh, glory is revealed. It was revealed upon the cross. Uh, it was it was through the display of God's righteous judgment on the cross where he he revealed his his glory and justice and mercy to the world, bringing salvation. And God's glory will be seen clearly on that last day when, when He executes final judgment. God's glory will be seen. It will be revealed and all will see it. And for those who reject God and, and He reveals His glory in Christ, He reveals His glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, oh, you will see God's glory displayed. You will see it displayed in his judgment and his, in his wrath for all eternity. Now, you don't want to see that. Now, how can we be sure that God will reveal his glory? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God's greatness and glory will be manifested. Because he's spoken. Isaiah 55 verse 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall Not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. If God says it. It's going to happen. If God said it, it is true. If God said it, you can trust it. If God said it, you can rely upon it. You can build your life upon it regardless of what is going on in your life. So this passage for me is all about God and it's all about his purpose. God's purpose for sending the nation of Israel into Babylonian captivity was so that he could display the glory of his salvation. They went through all of that suffering to get to this point so that God can comfort them. And beloved, there is purpose in your suffering. There is purpose in why God sends you through difficult times. I know difficulties range from Difficulty in the home dealing with your children to, in the, to, to, to difficulty dealing with deacons and elders in the church. All of that. All of that has a purpose. All of that, beloved, has a purpose. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that over and over again. Particularly for those of you who are pastors. You can feel like it's you're lonely. And particularly when things are are not going your way, it can be tough. But there's purpose. in the suffering. God is bringing you low so that he can bring comfort to you through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, I know that there are some here for whom the struggle is real. And I pray that they would just get a glimpse of the comfort that you have provided for us in Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ that we have been richly blessed with every blessing in heavenly places it is in Christ that we have everything that pertains to life and godliness as we know him it is in Christ that that we stand and and we are have your grace available to us it is in Christ where we have the assurance that we know that whatever is taking place in our lives that is working for our good and for your glory and that is transforming us. It is conforming us into the image of your son. It is making us like him as you mold us and make us. And though your hands upon our lives can feel rough, As you mold us. But what you're doing in our lives is done through your love for us in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I thank you. I thank you for your comfort that we find uh, in your word regarding your greatness. And the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you. In his name I pray. Amen.